Business Bros is your show, where small business professionals just like you come to tell their stories. This podcast is for those who understand the number one rule in business, which is to be of service to others. Learn how today's professionals generate leads, what's working on social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of those who are out there doing the real work. And now let's welcome your hosts, Hernan Cias, the real estate bro with eXp Realty, the cloud-based brokerage where top producers reign, and James Cias, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, making sure you are covered because there's a lot riding out there. And now here are the business bros. Welcome to another episode of Business Brothers! <laughs> there Woo! it is! Is it Thursday? No, it's... It is not Thursday, it's... Hump Day! Hump day. <laughs> Commercial's never gonna and, get yeah, old. you know... Thursday it's Eve. one of those things. Thursday Eve. Thursday Eve. That's yeah. right, it is Thursday Eve. Almost so happy it's Thursday. Almost. Yeah. Alright, ladies and gents, Hernancy is here, host of the Business Bros Podcast, Woo! along with my co-host... The insurance bro with crazy hair, James Sias, with Pipeline <laughs> Insurance. Thank you all so much for joining us. As always, we're excited to have a really cool guest on today's show. Uh, we have had one author before, but never an author of this level. Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, no, no offense. Um, God dang it, what was Eric. Eric. No offense, Eric. Um, anyway, check this out. Check this out. In a story that parallels today's political and social unrest, follow the sexual and political evolution of a gay activist in his husband's quest for the White House. Wow! <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and when he's not writing books, today's guest is helping people plan their financial futures and achieve their goals. So welcome and thank you for joining us today, Jerry Straver Jr. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Dude, he gets good at these intros, huh? Yeah, I, I really, it got me kind of going. I'm sitting here like, duh. <laughs> oh, wait, he's talking about me. Yeah, yeah. Who's that guy? Who's that guy? <laughs> I try, I try. I'll, you got to fake it. Right? right? A little bit, a little yeah. bit. All right, uh, before we get started, Jerry, I just want to remind our audience, 365 pairs of shoes by the end of the year, so if you have new shoes, used shoes, or you want to donate cash, hit James up, 619-884-0045, or james at csfirst.com. By the way, he also does insurance. We want to, uh, If you want to add insurance into your particular business, maybe you have a mortgage company, a real estate company, something like that, make sure you hit James up, 619-884-0045, or james at csfirst.com. And if you have a charitable company or charitable organization, nonprofit, that you would like to promote on the podcast... Let us know. We'd love to uh, promote it for you. Hernan's at uh, csfirst.com, 619-884-0045 or 619-884-4915. Either one of those numbers will get you in contact with us. Whew. That there was it so is. slow, man. Right? I, I got to get it out. Gosh. And then I can like slow my pace down a little bit. <laughs> that took forever. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but that's okay. Most people just fast forward through the intro anyway. Yeah, they do. They do. They wait till we get started. <laughs> All right, Jerry, tell me a little bit about yourself. Does anybody just wake up and decide they want to be a financial planner or an author? What, what were you doing before this? Well, I got to tell you, those are two very, very different tracks, and they are not parallel. <laughs> uh, let me see. I um, actually started telling stories to my kids when they were really young, um, like, you know, like three, four years old, and I would make these stories up um, in my head and just kind of tell them you know take some of their dolls and stuff and play games with it yeah. at night and what have you in fact i actually illustrated um some of the stories and that's all that's left because i never wrote down what i was saying because i made it up as i went 
but my kids would ask me to say it over and over again and then correct me when I hadn't said it oh. the way it was properly said. So they remember. They remember the story better and than you. Yeah, yeah. And now they have kids of their own, and sometimes they tell them to them. Is that cool? Oh, that is really cool. That's sweet. Yeah, you know, it. that is traditionally how our history was passed on. That's was right. through story. That's his right. story, right? So I made a lot of changes to the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> that was in his name. That character yeah, yeah. had a different name. Exactly. No. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking too. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. That's how it goes. So also when I was uh bef- you know, when I was younger, I-, I used to always have this um made up stories in my head all the time. You know, when you you know, like you're Let's say going for a walk or you're riding your bike or you're just, you know, thumb sucking, uh, looking out the window kind of thing. Uh, I would just somehow it's just something I always did was I made stories. So in this instance, um, uh, this book came about as a result of an accident, really, because I I fell. I was at the gym and I fell because uh, I had a sinusitis and a virus and exhaustion, blah, blah, blah. Long story. Boring. But I fell and hit my head, and I really took a while for me to get to the point where I could um, really work full time all the time. And I would just take a break at the end of the day sometimes, and maybe go for a walk. Started making up story in my head again, right? And so I finally decided uh, one day, I said, you know what? If this story is pretty good, and if I don't continue to, uh, if I don't continue this by writing it down, I will forget it. Mm-hmm. I had done that before. I had written these stories in my head before, and I'd forgotten them. So I started um, typing, uh, keyboarding on the, ooh, it was, I think it was August 9th, 2017, and finished my first manuscript on December 5th that same year. And it was 144,000 words. Let me ask you, did you ever like journal before? Maybe like jot down some stuff? Or did you just kind of think it up and say, you know, that was a good story, and then kind of just let it go away? I never journaled my stories. Hmm. journaled other things but never my stories the things i journaled i looked at them again i said oh you don't want anybody to read that so i threw them away <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't want any of that attention <laughs> no, 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 no. you're not supposed to know that so uh anyway that was my first manuscript that has not been published uh i was going uh trying to get that published and i was make a long story short had some challenges with the publishing and in the meantime uh, Hillary Clinton and was running for president, and there's a lot of stuff going around about hey, you know, first spouse of the United States, mm-hmm. what, you know, or first gentleman of the United States, or you know, what is that going to be uh, if Bill Clinton becomes the first, first guy, guy or, first know, so, lady guy, or yeah, whatever? For, exactly. And so I thought that was kind of interesting, but as we know, that didn't work out too well for them. So. Um, but a story was born. I, the story was born. First spouse, United States. So I just kind of took ownership of it. For some reason or other, it was kind of weird. I actually copyrighted it. Oh. First spouse, United States. I copyrighted it. And I thought I would go do something with it. So uh, then I started writing a book about two guys. Uh, one of the um, guys gets elected president, but his husband is first spouse of the United States. So it's a I, completely different twist. A, a totally different twist. And um, I felt like I really had to get on it. So I dropped my first manuscript. It's called Braxton Century. I'll tell you a little bit about that later. Totally different kind of book. And started writing this book. In fact, I was like a third of the way through this book when Pete Buttigieg announced you know, 
he was forming an exploratory committee to run for president. I said, oh my God, I've got to get on this thing. You know, I want this thing done. You know, this is my idea, darn it. Yeah. And so, How dare uh, you make it a reality? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, it's supposed to be fiction. So anyway, I got on it and I actually published it in March, three weeks before he announced his candidacy. So uh, that was kind of cool. I felt like it was, I was part of what was going on in today's environment, not only from a, um, a human rights standpoint, from a political stuff, because I love politics. I'm always listening to that stuff and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, who's doing what to whom and how often and how, you know, that kind of it's thing. It's a great drama. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what this book is. It is so drama. It's got two kind of, two parallel universes. You've got these guys growing up, uh, you know, as young men and as their story proceeds. And society is evolving at the same time because it starts out in the early 80s and uh, goes through 2020. So I'm doing what we're predicting, right? So that's kind of how this book uh, got to where it is and kind of a long way around Robin Hood's barn, but I hope I answered your question. No, that's that's kind of some interesting stuff. So I'm, I'm wondering how much is real life portrayed in this book obviously it's not you know word for word or what's happening but you you spoke a little bit about you know trying to put a little pressure on getting it done Mm -hmm. how much do you do you take like somebody's character on tv and kind of like you know what you know that's a good start of a character let me develop that a little differently there's a lot of that in the book um there are a couple characters in there uh that there is a uh, first lady in the book who when you get a chance to read the book, you'll see that she really will remind you of a couple recent first ladies, <laughs> big time, okay, with a capital B, right? And so, uh, but then there's strength of character and there's drive and all those kinds of things that make politics work. And, you know, so many spouses have been behind it. Like, look at Ronald Reagan. I mean, uh, without Nancy Reagan, he never would have made it without mm-hmm. her support. And so I have characters like that in my book, not just in the presidential family kind of thing, but in other things. And I have um, a lot of very interesting characters that I do explore some, there's some taboo stuff in there, I would think. Um, not so much today, but you know, people thought it, but they certainly didn't live it. And that mm-hmm. does happen in the book. The whole theme on this book is living an authentic life and that comes from some personal experience it comes from certainly from a lot of people i know is if you're hiding and you're fearful if you're trying to keep a secret and it's eating at you every day it's diminishing you it's Mm -hmm. diminishing you as a person and it's certainly limiting what you can experience and accomplish in life and so i really wanted to press on here that we are accountable for how we live our lives and we do have the option to live our own lives on our own terms so i guess authenticity is something uh that really prevails through the book and um and is one of the messages i'm trying to get across not that it's going to be easy or no no not at all well i mean it that that falls in line line with uh something i like to say a lot you know i break up the word responsibility to your ability to respond to any particular situation whatever life throws at you any obstacle or anything um but on the other side is also things that end up being your fault people have a lot of um 
they claim things as their fault. It's 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 not my fault that I was born into alcoholic parents. It's not my fault that I was born gay. It's not my fault that I was born poor. And and so they use these things to stop them or 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 as roadblocks. And my thing is, well, you have an ability to respond to any of those situations, to kind of push through, to say that sucks. I want to change that. How do I come over that? And and when you talk about those like you know, living in fear, living and being scared, you know, today more so than ever before, you have that ability to find support to help you get through that, to get past the fear and move in a positive direction to help you. Because it, you're, I 100% agree with you. How debilitating is it to live like that, to be scared to come out, to be scared to be yourself? You're never going to get to where you want to go. Life's not going to be fun for you. Right, and I believe life should be. Um, you should always be in the pursuit of happiness. Exactly. If you can find happiness, then it doesn't really matter what you do as far as work or anything else. You're happy every single day. Right. And that's that's should be the ultimate purpose for most people on a daily basis. How do you find happiness? Right. You know. I think to also along that line is so many of us um, try in so many different ways for validation. You mm-hmm. know, it can be. Uh, what clothes you wear, the car you drive, where you live, or how many likes you get on Facebook, or any of those number of things, that drive for validation just almost not to, it doesn't disappear, but it becomes so less of a priority when you are living your life true to your own mm-hmm. uh, dreams, your own desires, and who and who you want to be, and not letting other people's expectations um, impact you because typically it'll be a negative impact. So, Well, I, I think it comes down to when you find why or a purpose. Mm-hmm. Once you have that why or you have that purpose, mm-hmm. who cares what anybody else says? You know exactly where you're going. Right. But as long as you have no purpose, as long as you don't know why the things you're doing, if you have no vision, mm-hmm. then all you have is everybody else's opinion. Yeah. And that's that's always going to stop you. Yeah. Speaking of opinions, <laughs> right? Um and I, I have several. Yeah, you have several. Well, well, I mean that that's kind of where my question is going to go. This book is pretty thick. Yeah. And um that's a lot of pages that you've written. Right. And so when I look at that, I'm not really a big uh, like I journal, right. but there's no way I'm going to go back and edit all my stuff. Right. Tell me a little bit about your process in getting from there's an idea in my head Mm-hmm. to having a finished book. Okay. What were some of the obstacles you went through? What were some of the bigger troubles? Well, for me, it's not difficult coming up with a story. And uh, recently I uh, had a, um, um article posted in one of the local um, periodicals. Uh, it was Gay San Diego, actually. And one thing I explained about was when I write a book, I've already got the idea in my head. I pretty much know where I'm going to start and where I want to go. It's that in it's the in between that brings out the creative in me, mm-hmm. and it's what's really challenging is the fact is I don't outline the book like a lot of people do that you get told all the time you know writing groups you know outline the book have all your characters developed. I said I don't do that, and part of the reason I don't do that is because I kind of grow through my characters as I'm I'm creating them. And this book did not go where I intended it to go. The sequel will. And it's because it, my characters became so important in that I needed to develop. I, they had to have these life experiences in the book for me to be able to portray where I was going with what I was the story that I was trying to tell and the message I was getting across. So I wrote the book, and I wrote it rather quickly. Then I spent a lot of time going through it and editing it, correcting it, 
Um, I do belong to a writer's group, and they give me input on that. I highly recommend anybody who ever wants to write a book definitely be part of a writer's group. So I suppose I went through it mm, probably six or seven times, and um, it's about 70,000 words, and um, it's a little about 400 pages, but I do have big print because people <laughs> like to make progress in a book, so they're just flipping through those pages. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I did it. Seven to eight times to go through a book. Mm-hmm. That's quite a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, I'm curious about your, your, a little bit about your character development. Um, I've never written anything. I mean, characters is like me and that's about it. Maybe a, a little third party point of view. Right. How do you go about um, deciding what a character is going to do? Like where do they get a whole chapter? Is it like a subtle character that just comes in and out? Um, you know, how do you get their names? Like, what what do you, what is kind of a process that goes through your head when you're when you're developing a character? When I'm developing the character, I kind of have an overview of what kind of person I want them to be. Um, now, if it's a minor character, I won't spend a lot of time developing that persona because it it's distracting and it takes away. You, you in my in this particular book, First Spouse of the United States, I have two main characters the two men rocky and nick um rocky uh rocky uh, his name is ricardo chambers he grows up in the um in la jolla he's a football player and he's in a junior in high school in the mid 80s and i am developing him as what i wanted my character to look like in high school you know he's a he's an athlete he's a good student comes from a, a good family but his mother is from spain and his father's families from Boston so I'm throwing those I'm really kind of um, giving him some culture giving it he's got a lot of culture got a background but at the same token he's a football player for crying out loud and he's you know on campus and he's struggling with his own sexuality in fact he kind of crash and burns on that um, in his junior year ends up leaving and wants to get out of Southern California I'm done with it, and accepts an appointment to the Naval Academy to go play football so again that whole period I have from when he's a junior in high school all the way to when he goes to the Naval Academy and then when he goes to flight school and becomes a Marine Corps fighter pilot and continues on, I'm building his character the whole time through action and um, some narratives. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah, that does help. That does help. Because mm-hmm. I've always thought, you know, and and forgive me here, but my uh, my character analysis comes from movies <laughs> you right. know like harry potters or the right. or the lord of the rings type stuff right some of those characters get so in depth that they become spin-offs of their own exactly have you thought i mean you're going to do a sequel and have you ever developed a character or is there any character in your book that is so enriched in in how we get to know that character yes. that they might want to have something of their own you might want to develop them even further Yes, absolutely. Um, in the book, um, there are um, two kids that get born, right? I don't want to tell you how that happened because it's interesting. But in writing the sequel, and I'm about 20% through it, I, they're getting developed to the point of thinking, oh my gosh, this thing could go on for friggin' ever, right? <laughs> so, yes. Um, it's really, I love the way I approach my writing because I develop the characters and grow with them and just weave it, you know, as it goes. 
And going back to this other book I was telling you about, Braxton Century, that I'm redoing, which is 140,000. 100, actually, it's close to 156,000 words right now. It's going to be two volumes. My characters have changed so much while I've been writing the book and going back and re-editing and making, you know, and developing and growing them. And uh, it's almost like, you know, you're playing some sort of a, a video game in mm -hmm. your head as you're changing these things and, and manipulating stuff. But I was wondering if I, maybe I could share a couple sure, passages sure. from the book. I've got a couple here I want to read. Um, the first one, I'm going to go back when, Gar when um, um, Rocky is in high school. And um, they're at La Jolla High School, and they've been all called to the um, auditorium cafeteria because they've got an announcement to be made. And it's a pretty horrific announcement, and the announcement is made. And this is how Rocky uh, reacts. I'm going to just read a couple pages. Rocky raced down the corridor toward the gym. Umberto had, had to be there. It was the only place he could be. It was his sanctuary. His heart pounded as he flew down the hallways, barely pausing to negotiate a series of turns and closed doors. Inwardly panicking and screaming, Umberto, please, please, don't do anything. Stupid, don't do anything. Reaching the gymnasium, he catapulted toward the boys' locker room. Terror filled his chest, constricting his breathing. As his head grew lighter, he forced himself to breathe. He burst into the locker room, shouting as best he could, Umberto, I'm here. Where are you? He careened about the catacomb-like lockers, ducking in and out of the spaces. The silence surrounded him. He came to a jerky stop. He heard running water in the therapy room spilling onto the floor. No, no, no! He ran toward the closed double doors, splashing through the rose-tinted water pouring from the therapy room onto the locker room floor. Careening into the room, he lost his balance and fell to the scarlet-colored water, skidding across the tiled floor. His breath was knocked out as he crashed into the source of the flowing water. In pain, he turned to his side. He looked up from the floor at the flow pouring over the sides of the stainless steel therapy tub. A waterfall of blood-infused water cascaded onto Rocky as he attempted to find his bearings. Rocky's mind and body throbbed. He feared, facing what he knew would be or what he would find in the steel tub. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the tub? <laughs> wow. That's, so. in, that's deep. That's, wow! I mean, uh, oh yeah, that's about three and a half, four feet deep. And we are literally. So I'm I'm over here, and as you're reading, I'm I'm looking at the book. That's like the first few pages. That's probably the uh, page 38 and 39. Yeah, so that's really early on in the story. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to read something from you. The very beginning. Now, what happens here is, um. This is takes place in the middle of the book, but it's the first chapter. Okay. So it's a little. Um, it's like one of those, like, uh, ten minutes later. Yeah. Like ten yeah, years yeah. later. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like thirty-six hours. Thirty-six hours earlier. About fourteen, fifteen years later. You're right. So basically, this is in the White House uh, East Room, and Rocky is a fighter pilot at this time, Marine Corps fighter pilot. He's been an he was ace in the Marine Marine he's an ace Marine Corps fighter jet fighter pilot F-18. I had a friend of mine um, who was a uh, Naval Academy, uh, no, was a Naval Academy graduate, but he was a Marine Corps fighter pilot, and he helped me write the uh, combat scenes, which I'm not going to read today, but uh, it was really a learning experience for me because I was able to... Direct from, the, from somebody who experienced. Oh, yeah, yeah. So in this story, Rocky's receiving the Medal of Honor for being um, uh, you know, ace, okay? So um, he's gone in, he's in the um, uh, East Room, and... 
there's a bunch of people there, as you can well imagine, watching mm-hmm. him get the medal. So I'm not going to read so much about that, but I want to know, let you know is after the ceremony, Rocky um, ends up in the president's Oval Office later. It's By that time, it's evening. The sun's gone down. and um, He's by himself with the president. So the president has... Uh, Requested his yes, company. Yes, yes, yes. And so you I'm, don't just end up with the president by yourself. No, you do not. So... Um, let me find that takes, page. Takes quite a bit. I've watched enough movies to know there's a quite a bit of security in the Oval Office, or to get to the Oval Office. Right. So here we go. Rocky, please sit, said the president, pointing to the opposite chair. Thank you, sir. You know, you know, Rocky, when I was your age, I too played football. I would have loved to have flown aircraft, but I didn't have the prerequisite eyesight. So I settled on politics. I think having better eyesight would have saved me a lot of grief. Both men chuckled. Seated in the wingback chairs facing one another at an angle, my name back then was Hammer. <laughs> okay, Mr. President. Dare I ask how you got that name? Was it politics or street fighting? Oh, shit. <laughs> I just flirted with the president. The president replied, I would like you to think it had something more to do with sex. President Tanner's directness caused Rocky to take an oversight gulp from his glass, almost spilling it on his immaculate white uniform. He used a sleeve to nervously wipe his still spotless military jacket. Captain, I have finally caught you off guard. God, that makes me feel good. I've been so nervous asking you to meet with me privately. You, Mr. President? Nervous? By the way, as I know, you will not do it unless I order it. You will call me Hammer when in private. <laughs> Mr. President, I can't do that. Amuse me and obey my order, Rocky. Uh, yes, uh, Mr. Uh, I mean Hammer... They both quickly drained their glasses. <laughs> Rocky, give me your glass. He handed over the glass engraved with the presidential seal and stood up as the president he- headed toward a concealed shelf holding several bottles of expensive scotch. As he watched the president and looked around the Oval Office, Rocky was dumbstruck. He's dumbstruck with the reality of being there, alone with the most powerful man in the world. He felt aroused. It was now very obvious the president was hitting on him. President Tanner handed him his drink. Here's a toast acknowledging your commendation, Captain. Their glasses clinked as they toasted and each drank a third of the smoky contents. Come with me, said the president. Tanner took Rocky by the shoulder and led him to the right of the presidential desk toward the door leading to his private office. The president closed the door behind them, securing the overside latch and locking the door. A small corner lap illuminated the room slightly. There were only shadows. Both men stood facing each other. Simultaneously, they lifted their scotch-filled crystal glasses in a toast. As he brought the glass to his lips, Rocky noticed a smile playing on the president's lips, returning the smile Rocky down to scotch in a single gulp. With his empty glass in hand, Rocky moved toward the president. Slowly, deliberately, Rocky leaned toward Tanner and placed the glass on the table behind the president. He accidentally brushed against the president, his fingers lightly touching his arm. Rocky made a move that would, or could, destroy him instantly. Uncaring, he faced his willing cohort, and with a predator-like grace. You'll have to finish reading the book. Damn! (laughs) (laughs) Cliffhanger! Cliffhanger! That's some good stuff, though! I mean, definitely a little uh, dicey on what, what normal... 
uh, things people would assume, but definitely a possibility. Well, I mean, just turn on Netflix. You're going to find a lot worse than this. Oh, yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I ain't even worried about that. You know. No, but but uh, very, very, like, on the edge of your seat. So that's a good job. That's love a good it, job. Dude. I love Thank it. You. Love it. So if we have time, I have one more. Sure, go for it. One more. Good? Why not? One more. All right. Okay. So um, what's happening here was um, in the story is, okay, they are... These two guys have got engaged years and years later. They're like in their late 40s, early 50s, you know, time's going on, right? So um, they are um, in Washington, D.C., and they're out for dinner to have to celebrate the fact that they've got engaged, okay? They're sitting at the table in a banquet, you know, their backs, they're side by side, their backs against the wall. It's a restaurant in uh, Washington called Martin's. I've been there, and this is where Jack Kennedy asked Jackie. Bouvier mm-hmm. to marry her, marry him, and what have you. So they've made a little banter on words, and so here we go. I think someone let the cat out of the bag, Raga said. You're kidding. No, that was a text from Jean. What's it say? Nick asked in an apprehensive tone. Rocky read the text. The press may have been tipped off to your dinner and its location. Rocky paused, looking at his phone, and returned it to his jacket pocket. My guess is someone on the restaurant staff leaked it. They're the only people I've talked to. Do you want to leave? We can go somewhere else. No. If they know where we are, we may already be, they may already be outside. At that moment, a flash went off near the restaurant's entrance, followed by a figure quickly exiting through the door. The noise around them promptly ceased. The other guests directed their attention to Rocky and Nick, sitting side by side in the booth. Patrons started whispering among themselves. Both men directed their gaze at the figure now passing outside the restaurant windows. Looks like someone got a good picture for tomorrow's papers, Rocky said, slamming his napkin on the table. Damn, I hope that's the last of it for tonight, Rick said, fumbling with his glass. Okay, let's go with the flow and try to enjoy our engagement dinner. Rocky sat with his back pressed against the banquet, slowly drawing air through his nose, expanding his chest he exhaled quickly through his mouth. I'd really like to kiss you about now. The corner of Nick's mouth curled in a subtle smile. Yeah, I like that too. Nick squeezed Rocky's hand under the table. Someone bursting loudly through the front door shattered the magic of the moment. The intruder scanned the room, his eyes soon landing on Nick and Rocky at their table 15 yards from the door. Startled, Nick and Rocky looked to see the fast-moving figure barreling through the room toward them. The restaurant again became silent. Only the stranger's boots hitting the bare oak floor could be heard. As the stranger stopped in front of them, both men jumped out of their seats, overturning the table. They gasped as the large intruder slamming the overturned table up against them, pinned them both to the bank, back of the banquet. Hey, Senator, you faggot! You're going to meet your maker tonight! The intruder was large and burly, dressed in worn jeans and a brown plaid shirt. A bright red hat emblazoned with repent in black letters sat squarely on his shaggy brown hair. A coarse, splotchy beard failed to cover his potmarked face. A large pistol was visible in his right hand. As if on cue, the sound of falling tables, glass, and china competed with the screams as patrons dove to the floor for cover. Several people escaped out the door as others crawled under the table, tables and behind the bar as the big man held his gun on Rocky and Nick. Which one of you is a homo senator? Both men now partially standing froze. Answer me, damn it, or I'll shoot you both. Lifting his head above, his hand above his head, Rocky said, I am. Bullshit! 
Now I can see it ain't you. It's that queer next to you. I seen his picture. Nick turned toward the assailant as he aimed the gun at him. I was wrong. You ain't going to meet your maker. God don't want any no kind of you anywhere near him. He held the pistol grip with one hand. Rocky heard the piece's action as he cocked the gun in the thumb of his other hand. Dude, what happened? Right? <laughs> Man. Damn, that's real, though. That, yeah. That, cause that, you, that's everything, scary hate. Yeah. It's and scary it's, hate. It's real. Yeah. It's real, man. Well, the neat it's, thing about writing that scene is I've been in the restaurant and I've eaten there and I've sat in that booth. <laughs> I didn't get the same action, though. No, no. no. <laughs> so glad you didn't. But, but that that's cool because when you're describing the seats going up, the way they lean back, like you're doing it almost out of experience. Right. So like it's and, and the way you've written it feels like it. you can feel it happening. Yeah. So that's that's really that's done really well. Man. All right. Well, I don't even I don't even think I want to continue. I want you to look at this camera right here. I want you to tell people how do they get a hold of you and uh, and your book. Okay. The best thing, uh, first of all, as you can probably see, the book. Ta-da! Here we go. First spouse, of the United States. You don't get all these pretty paper in it. Those are just my pages. That I from. <laughs> That's what so, happens when a writer annotates. Yeah. There's a copy up there. Yeah. There's a copy up there. So anyway. Um, the best, there's several ways you can get it. You can go to one of my book signings. We're local. I'm having them all the time. In fact, I'm going to be at the um, Brooks Sunshine Theater um, Friday night. They have a 7 o'clock showing there. It's a called Pride at the Beach, and they have a lot of variety acts. Believe it or not, my variety act is my book. And uh, they'll be there. You can get it firsthand, and I can sign it for you there. That's on Oceanside. And um, then... Uh, Barnes and Noble, you can get it. You can get it uh, Amazon, Kindle, um, and if you are a bookstore owner or something like that, library, you can go to Ingram Sparks and they have um, access to it, so you can order it. So again, Amazon, Kindle, Barnes and Noble, your local uh, uh, bookstore. I was at um, uh, Warwick's in La Jolla uh, a couple Sundays ago and had a reading there, and um, so you can go to a lot of different places and get it. Awesome. Are you going to be doing an Audible? Because it'd be kind of cool to hear. I would like to do an Audible. I just don't know that I, I've got it. You know, I haven't figured out if I could do it. You know, it's caught my interest. I'll tell you that much. Right? <laughs> I'd listen to it. <laughs> Interesting. Play. though, in Audible, the only reason it hasn't been done, it costs about four to five thousand dollars if you have someone else do it to to produce it. Yeah, it because produced? it's going to cost a couple grand to uh, do it, time, and then you have edited. to edit it. Yeah. So it's tough. It's tough, but. It'd be cool. It would be very cool. I mean, just to hear, I, it reminds me of, you know, listening to stories on the radio, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and now you know the rest of the story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Paul yeah. Harvey. But that, that kind of voice, I could just picture it telling the whole entire story. I'll tell you the secret. I did buy the software to do the audio, and I have practiced a little bit, so maybe. Maybe. Oh, well, for sure, let me know. Ladies and gents, hope you enjoyed the little snippets of the book. Um, he, um, Jerry's contact info is right under him. So uh, his Instagram is there. If you wanted any more info, find out where he's going to be. Um, get a copy of the book. We'd love to uh, We'd love to hear your opinion on it. Let us know. Let Jerry know. And uh, if you guys have any more questions for Jerry, uh, again, his Instagram is there. And thank you for coming on the it's show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank yeah, you for having me. Yeah, it's been fun. Man, 
interesting stuff, huh? Great stuff. Loved it. <laughs> love the stories. Love the way you read it. Uh, love how he just chops you off at the end, makes right? you continue going. <laughs> Come on! Cliffhanger. Ah! Cliffhanger. <laughs> uh, love it. Love it. Love it. All right, ladies and gents, a uh, quick reminder, 365 pairs of shoes by the end of the year is what we're shooting for. So if you got new shoes, used shoes, or you want to donate cash, hit James up, 619-884-0045 or james at csfirst.com. He'll hop on his Harley right over there, pick him up. Remember, we have 36 pairs of shoes is the record that he's put on the saddle. So if you have any more than that, we'd love for him to pick you up. Uh, we'll pick the shoes up. Uh, if you guys have any insurance needs, james at csfirst.com or 619-884-0045 is his number. One more time. That's all we got for you guys today. Peace. Bye-bye. And we're out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you interested in being on the show? Are you looking to sell your home or have a business that needs insurance? Reach out to the Business Bros via email, businessbros at cusfirst.com right now or click on the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And remember to subscribe and share the podcast with the business professionals who you think would benefit from the show.